Hey guys, so before I start the show today, I just wanted to say something. So a longtime supporter of Half the Battle named Mike Lowry, he messaged me and uh, he sent me something that, you know, really hit home with me. A couple weeks ago, he lost his wife. So rest in peace to Amber Lowry. And Mike told me that, you know, that she would always watch the fights with him. And he also told me that she was the, that uh, I was the only like YouTube, you know, UFC related like show that, that, that she would watch with him. Um, and she leaves behind two daughters. So Mike, you know, obviously we thank you for your support, but man, there's things bigger than this. And, you know, we all got your back, man. So, you know, don't don't be afraid to reach out or anything like that. You know, she lost her her battle with type one diabetes, which is the one that you're born with, not the one that, you know, that you get from bad lifestyle choices. And, you know, one of my best friends, her name's Cammy. She's dealing, you know, she's dealt with type one her whole life. So, you know, I can relate um, to having someone going through that. And granted, she's a bit younger, you know, she's like 33 like me but you know you just never know so you know rest in peace amber lowry mike we hope you and your family you know it, it's just it's, it's tough to come up with the words but just want to send you positive energy man and that's it so thank you for your support rest in peace amber lowry and let's start the show welcome back to half the battle i'm your host as always daniel levy and today we're going to be talking about UFC Vegas 80. Grant Dawson versus Bobby King Green and my friends. It's going down this Saturday night live at the Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada. You got the surging lightweight contender, Grant Dawson, taking on the OG, the vet, Bobby Green in the main event. And I love this fight. I know this one's flying under the radar. But I think it's a great stylistic matchup for a lot of reasons. We know exactly what Grant Dawson is good at. It's not a secret here. We know that Grant Dawson is a guy that he's super long and, you know, he'll go for these unorthodox kind of low single takedowns and, you know, kind of, you know, try to get a backside double, then go to the, go to the body lock and, Man, once he gets that body triangle and he takes people's backs, he's very, very hard to deal with, you know? And the thing about it is I know firsthand from grappling that there's those guys that, you know, they're just super long. And when they take your back, it like it just feels different, man. It's like you can't escape. You're constantly trying to fight off not only the pressure of that body triangle, but all the, you know, the choke attempts, even last fight against Demiris Magulov. He had him in a goddamn full Nelson <laughs> from the back. So, I mean, do not let this guy take your back. You know what I'm saying? And if you do, you must survive. Because if there's any weakness we've seen with Grant Dawson, well, we'll talk about his ugly ass striking in a second, but it's that that body triangle that takes a lot from your legs man and doing that for multiple rounds at a time and if you're not able to 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 finish somebody 
that's going to gas you out. And you have seen Grant Dawson fade down the stretch in fights. Whether it was the Ricky Glenn fight, we're going to talk about Ricky Glenn coming up later on on this fight uh, on this card. Um, but the the thing about it is, man, he did you know leave his he got out of his comfort zone when he was training with James Krause. Now he's at ATT. Um, you know, some people call ATT American Top Team. You know, we like to joke around and call it anabolic top team. And uh, before all y'all Kaffers rip off that line, y'all know where you heard that first. But uh, now nah, it seems like, you know, he's been he's been performing a lot better in round three of these fights. So, you know, I don't, don't want to make any accusations or anything like that. But, uh, you know, whatever peptides they got going on, you know, the they're harvesting the garden of life, fruits and vegetables like these guys are able to push a lot more. Um, and that's something that's an improvement I've seen in Grant Dawson. However, make no mistake about it. Grant Dawson can only win this fight in one way. And that's with his grappling. Grant, if Grant Dawson comes out here and starches Bobby Green. Hey, buddy, that just speaks volumes to, to your improvements. But I, I think that Grant Dawson is a very one dimensional guy. And, and I don't want to sound like I'm discrediting him, like I'm being disrespectful, like I'm being dismissive because to get to a 20 and one record, let alone in the 155 pound division, I mean, you got to be doing something right. And, and it's another thing too, where it's like, you know, it's coming, but can you stop it? Right. Um, like back in the day with Damian Maya, you know exactly what Damian Maya wanted to do to you, but could you stop it? And Dawson's got similar vibes, similar, not, not exactly the same. Cause I actually thought Damian Maya is a way harder hitter than Grant Dawson. Like Damian Maya actually rocked a couple dudes standing. Um, but he was mostly known for, uh, you know, is obviously incredible jujitsu and Bobby green, man, this guy is such a vet of the sport. I saw someone, uh, Dixon cider in the comments, bring up the bully beatdown episode. Bobby green was on back in the day. You know, I actually posted the clip of that on my Twitter at best fight picks, you know, gotta love Bobby green. And, and what's interesting is on this card, there's a kid named Joe Pfeiffer and everybody remembers the famous quote that Dana white said, be Joe Pfeiffer. But before Dana said, be Joe Pfeiffer, Dana White first said, be Bobby Green. Let me take y'all back to. All the way back to 2013, February of 2013. Bobby Green makes his UFC debut against Jacob Volkman. And Jacob Volkman was a guy who at the time was on the come up, right? He had a nice little win streak in the UFC. And he, as a matter of fact, when I say a nice little win streak, he had won five in a row, you know, dropped one and then got right back on track with a first round finish over Shane Roller. So he had won six of his last seven, right? And he was this very boring guy that like, you know, he's getting on the, uh, <laughs> in his post fight speeches. Like back then you couldn't say shit like this. He was like, they're like, so who do you want to fight next? Jacob. He's like, I want to fight Obama next. And like apparently like the secret service showed up to his house the next day. Um, and uh, so they put, uh, they put Jacob Volkman in there with, UFC newcomer Bobby Green, right? 
And like I said, Jacob Volkman was the guy that he had won six of his last seven, but it was like the most boring fucking fights, just humping dudes' legs, making the crowds boo. And but like you're winning these fights, so they, they can't just get rid of you when you're on a win streak, right? Like um, you're doing what you're supposed to do, but it's like we can't risk him potentially beating some of our top 15 guys, right? With his boring ass style. So Bobby Green makes his UFC debut, right? And Bobby Green survives all the bad spots, the back takes, the takedowns, and then he gets back up, and then he's the guy that's going out there and finishing Jacob Volkman in that third round. And after that happened, Dana White famously said, be Bobby Green, be Bobby Green. Close to 10 years later, he said, be Joe Pfeiffer. So the original be somebody was be Bobby Green. And the reason I bring that up Obviously, you know, it's cool with Joe Pfeiffer being the co-main event and Bobby being the main event. But the reason I bring that up is because Bobby is fighting a similar style here that um, as he did in his UFC debut. Now, granted, there's some differences. You know, obviously, Grant Dawson is the new school version of that style. Grant Dawson's longer. Grant Dawson, like I said, he's just one of these long, awkward guys that he sticks to you like glue. That body triangle so annoying to deal with but like what else has he got and bobby green is one of these guys that i know that you know he's getting up there in age and i know that sometimes he fights way too close for your liking and first of all let me let me say what these odds are it's currently grant dawson minus 425 with the comeback on bobby green at plus 325 so what I'm trying to say here is when you're talking about minus 425, well, Grant, you better just fucking go out here, take this guy down one time, finish him, uh, easily take his back for four of the five rounds and dominate him, ground and pound TKO, whatever the case may be, right? But Bobby Green can grapple, man. And the thing about it is I have never seen anybody just go out there and demolish Bobby Green on the ground, except for Islam Makachev. And what I want to say about this is guys like Islam and Habib are so dominant in their realms that people discredit the other areas of their game. Like people act like they have no striking. And that's total bullshit. Let me explain what I mean. Habib Nurmagomedov dropped Conor McGregor. He was like fucking throwing like flying knees at Justin Gaethje. Islam Makachev dropped Charles Oliveira, dropped Alexander Volkanovsky. So although we absolutely must praise their incredible grappling abilities, but they're not one-dimensional guys. Grant Dawson is a one-dimensional guy. Grant Dawson is not going to be a guy that, you know, is dropping Charles Oliveira on the feet, is dropping McGregor. I would be surprised if he dropped Bobby Green. I would be surprised if he had much success standing here only way i could see that being a possibility is if bobby is so worried about the takedown that all of a sudden his volumes on that lower side which tends to not be the case because what's interesting about bobby's style something we've criticized with bobby when he fights against other strikers is that he fights with his hands down right he likes to showboat a lot and against other strikers, you know, they can go upstairs with head kicks. And, you know, you can, like, you saw the Dober fight when he, you know, corralled him into the fence and threw that bomb. Right. Fighting with your hands down is going to cause, is going to cost you in spots like that. Uh, 
but fighting with your hands down against a guy who's only going to try to grapple you that's pretty fucking good i actually like that a lot here and we have to talk in these terms because look at the price like i said it's minus 425 it'll probably be minus 450 tomorrow minus 500 the next day like and dawson was not these prices versus guys that couldn't even sniff bobby green's jock strap <laughs> guys that bobby green knocked out right like um even that 40 year old fake olympic wrestler no offense i'm just kind of pissed off that when, when i bet mark madsen plus 200 you're this fucking olympic silver medalist allegedly you drop the guy you drop grant dawson five seconds into this fight right two seconds later you get your back taken credit to grant dawson for that <laughs> like credit to grant dawson but it's like don't you think someone a little bit better when they drop grant dawson they're, they're gonna close the show i mean grant dawson has been knocked out before he got knocked out by hugh pulley uh the the preacher my boy rob robert hale just beat uh, hugh pulley right so as grant dawson starts to enter into the top 20 the top 15 fighting these real these real killers these guys are going to be able to deal with his one-dimensional attack. Like, what do you think Rafael Fiziv would do to this guy? And you just have to bring up this stuff because I'm not going to be the one that discredits Grant's current run, even though I think there's tons of asterisks all over these fights. Like, for example, you look at the Ismagulov fight, and on paper that looks incredible. But how come no one's talking about the fact that Ismagulov retired a year prior of health issues and everyone knows that ismagulov did not look like the same guy his last two actually last three fights if you watch the guram fight too ismagulov never looked like the same guy after those health issues so while on paper it looks fantastic and he handled him accordingly like i said took his back and had goddamn a full nelson in there from the back hey beautiful stuff but everybody knows that Ismagulov had some health issue. That's why he, he retired. He thought he got over it, so he tried to come back. Clearly, he didn't get over it. So I just don't put much stock in, into, you know, fighting the corpse of someone, the ghost of someone, right? And like I said, the only time that Bobby Green has truly been dominated on the mat, I know he's been taken down a few times, but usually he pops right back up and he can grapple perfectly fine. The only time I've ever seen him just, get dominated was when you know he fought islam makachev but not to discredit islam's performance because islam did exactly what he needed to do and islam's the fucking champ bobby took that fight on less than a week notice to save the card bobby was coming in at 190 pounds made no issue didn't ask for a catch weight like a true og said hey i'm gonna cut from 190 to 155 just to save this card you know that that's like you're the ufc's hitman like when they when there's a boring ass fighter like jacob volkman you call bobby green when there's a boring ass fighter like like grant dawson who we don't want you to fucking move up the top 10 and, and get some of these guys out the rankings let's call our hitman bobby green now listen it's obviously not a guarantee here like i said I, i'm talking about a, a plus 325 dog versus a minus 425 favorite so like i'm not delusional i understand what could go wrong here but i also understand that bobby green can grapple bobby green can strike bobby green is experienced and grant dawson is a one-dimensional fighter he's got nothing to offer on the feet i mean all i'm worried about is you know consistent back takes i guess 
And I know there's going to be tons of people in the comments planting their flags about how, you know, this minus 400 favorite. All right, good. You know, listen, if you're on the minus 400 favorite, I'm not going to tell you to do any differently. I'm just telling you, you better fucking come out here and not just win. Like If he wins a, a split decision and I bet Bobby Green, I bet the right side. If Bobby Green loses a 48-47, I bet the right side. For Grant Dawson to cover this minus 425, it better be complete domination. It better be an absolute mauling. And if it's not, then he has no business being this price. Like, why was he only minus 200 against 40-year-old Mark Madsen? And why is he minus 425 against Bobby Green? You know, the last time that Grant Dawson was this price was against Ricky Glenn, where he completely shit the bed in round three, completely fell apart as soon as any adversity was presented to him. So now what's going to happen in these championship rounds? Now, granted, I know he's that anabolic top team now. So, you know, he's uh, certain things have probably been addressed. You know, they, those guys are, are ridiculous with whatever they've been doing down there, you know. But um, so, I mean, I get why Dawson's favorite is just should he be a minus 425, minus 450 favorite? Uh, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, I'm down to be proven wrong. I've been, I'll be proven wrong many more times, but my gut is telling me that it's not going to be that simple. It might be that simple, but my gut says it's not. And I trust my gut more than I trust what, you know, group think Twitter has to say about it. Right. Like not trying to be condescending. It's just my opinion. Um, I think that Bobby can compete here. Let's see. So I might be willing to roll the dice and take like a one unit shot just to find out. Um, Cause if I was willing to bet that 40 year old fraud, Mark Madsen who drops Grant Dawson two seconds into the fight. And then the, the Olympic silver medalist can't stuff takedowns all of a sudden, like, bro, give back your, get, get back your silver medals. Like, what the fuck is that? Like, come on, bro. Um, yeah, I know that's extremely disrespectful and it's tongue in cheek, even though I'm half serious about it. Um, but uh, how would I lie in this fight? Says, call me, uh, call me whatever says. I mean, I guess what? Minus 200 Grant Dawson? Something like that. Like, but why, why minus 425? Like, he, he's, he's over 80%. To, they, they, they run it uh, 10 times and Grant wins eight of those 10 times. I don't think so. I really don't think so. So, yeah, I'm going to go Bobby Green here for this upset, man. So, like, even if Bobby Green doesn't get this upset, one of these one of these next couple fights is going to be the guy. I am telling you, you cannot make it to the top, you know, the top of the top at 155 pounds being one-dimensional. And, again, let me repeat myself because some people are going to be like, well, Habib was the champ. If you're calling Habib one-dimensional, there's no, there's no nice way to put it, but – you just ain't the brightest. Habib dropped Conor McGregor. Habib could strike. It's just his grappling is so much better that you forget about the fact that he can strike. What about Islam Makachev, the current champ? Bro, he dropped Volkanovsky. He dropped Charles Oliveira. Like, these guys might be super dominant in one. They might be an A-plus in one realm, but that doesn't mean they're not an A-minus in another realm, right? So... I don't, I, I, whereas I see Grant Dawson's, you know, when he takes the back, I see him being an A there, but I see his striking being like a C minus. So, Bobby, I've seen you stuff plenty of takedowns throughout your career. Do it, do it again for me here. 
do it again for me here at this price. So, you know, it's not it's not a max bet. It's not anything crazy. I even I haven't even placed anything on it yet. But I'm considered I'm considering taking a one unit two at max. I'm Bobby Green here, and let's find out. Show me if you're that guy, Grant Dawson. I'm willing to be proven wrong. Again, I'll be proven wrong many, many more times. As the years progress, I'm just not sold on him at this number. I'm not sold on him, you know, as a top 10 UFC lightweight. Um, So this is a good test for him. Let's see what he does with it. I'm going to go uh, Bobby Green for the upset. And somehow I closed out my, uh, my topology. So give me one second, y'all. I appreciate y'all uh, being uh, here with me. Early notice, but you know, I wanted to get it. Uh, I want to get in early. You know, we've been out for a week, and you know what I'm saying. So it's good to be back in here. And then after we're done here, I'll be happy to answer all the questions. I don't have a guest, so you know, um, I feel like it's gonna fly by a little bit more today. Cole main event of the evening in the middleweight division. We got Joe Pfeiffer. He's 11 and two, taking on Abdul Razak Al Hassan, who's 12 and five. Currently, they got it. You know, again, Joseph Pfeiffer minus 450. The comeback on Abdul Razak is plus 350. So it's like these two are going to stand and bang until one man falls. If there's one thing about Abdul, he's got 12 wins. And guess what? All those 12 wins are by KO. Guess what round all those 12 KO wins are by? First round. Hold on a second. So, Razak has 12 knockouts all in the first round. That means that anytime this guy has been past the first round, he's lost. However, I, I do put an asterisk to that because I low-key thought that he beat uh, uh, Walking Buckley. And even if you want to say he didn't beat Walking Buckley, Razak won that third round dominantly. So, that was a step in the right direction. I think he's been training. Um, in Denver. So hopefully he's been addressing certain things. Um, he is going to be a little bit shorter for this weight class at, at 5'10, 5'9, you know. But at the same time, if there's one thing about Razak, Razak can knock anybody out. Razak is a serious knockout threat to anybody. And the thing with Pfeiffer is I haven't been all that sold on Pfeiffer, but he's been impressing me. Now, granted, the guys he's fought in the UFC so far, and I don't want to ever disrespect Gerald Mearshart, who I, I, I hold in high regard, but y'all know that Gerald Mearshart's the kind of guy that can beat anyone and lose to anyone, right? So it shouldn't surprise you. Like Gerald Mearshart will like get knocked out by Ian Heinish, but then we'll go smoke Bruno Silva and and, um, and Muradov, you know? So it's Mershart's such a vet, you just never know. Um, here with Razak, this is the next, you know, proper logical step up in competition for Joe Pfeiffer. Um, I'm not going to be one to be putting Joe Pfeiffer in parlays at minus 450. I'll tell you that right now. This is a dogger pass situation. It's just tough because, like, I used to really pick Razak's fights well when he first came into the UFC, like cashing back-to-back max bets against Saba Homasi two fights in a row. But then when I bet against him, he, like, loses. I mean, excuse me, when I bet against him, he, like, fucking kills guys. Um, 
So I haven't had the best reads on him lately, but I do think it's a dogger pass situation at these odds. I'll lean Pfeiffer because I think he's a little bit bigger, but does that really make a difference here? Like Pfeiffer could just throw that jab and then a huge overhand by Razak and just crack him. And that could be the fight. And either guy can hit the deck here. Um, but I do think that Pfeiffer is the natural middleweight. He's the bigger guy here. I think he's favored for a reason. I just don't know if I agree with minus 450. Um, so I think it's a dogger pass situation. I'll, I'll, I'll lean with Pfeiffer here. Featured bout in the welterweight division. We got Alex Morano. He's 23 and eight taking on uh, Joaquin Buckley, who's 16 and six. Currently they got it. Joaquin Buckley minus 170. The comeback on Alex Morano's plus 145. This is a great fight. Um, two guys that at this point are UFC vets are going to go out there, they're going to bang it out, and offensively speaking, they do what you want them to do. For Murano, it's more of a volume um, you know, perspective where he's landed, you know, in the Reese McKee fight, he landed fucking 176 significant strikes, right? The Semmelsberger fight, 106 significant strikes. He's been doing his thing. He's been getting his rhythm lately. He's, he's on a roll. With Buckley, it's more of he's a lot more fast twitch, um, not just fast twitch in terms of athleticism, but also um, hand speed, his hand speed, his footwork. When he commits to his combos, he is very dangerous. The issue that both these guys have is that they're both a bit on the chinnier side. They've both been knocked out their fair share of times. Murano, interestingly enough for him, He's actually hurt a lot of his opponents that have knocked him out. You go back to the Nico Price fight, and Alex Morano was rocking Nico Price in that first round, dropped him, was doing the whole bit. He ends up getting knocked out in that fight. More recently, the Ponzinibbio fight, Alex was doing his thing in that fight. He even dropped Ponzinibbio in that fight. He ends up getting finished. So what I'm trying to say by that is that even in fights that Murano loses, not all, but in some of them, he's still having success in those fights. But the same thing can be said about Buckley, too. Like, I thought he was looking good in the Chris Curtis fight uh, until Chris Curtis caught him with that, you know. I heard someone say that it was a body shot. That was not a body shot. That was a chin shot. <laughs> he definitely dropped. Chris Curtis definitely dropped Buckley with a chin shot, not a body shot. Okay, let's just clear that up. Um so both guys have suspect chins, but what I like about Buckley here is that him dropping to 170 pounds, that means that his cardio is going to have to be on a different level to, to drop those extra 15 pounds, to be in that kind of shape. And y'all know when you're in better shape, um, you know, it's easier to recover. And, and someone might say I'm hypocritical when I get to the Nate Manis fight, but that's different because Nate Manis has zero fucking business at 125 right whereas buckley he was just fighting in the wrong weight class now he's in the right weight class so ultimately i mean here's the thing though um murano is down to just get in the pocket and slug some bungalows he's got a black bone jiu-jitsu he's got a sneaky guillotine but like murano likes to bang man <laughs> murano will bang with anybody and it's actually Buckley who's the more elusive guy who's going to kind of be more on the outside looking to blitz with big combinations, big kicks, punches and bunches. 
So I, th- I see this being a great fight. I'm leaning towards Buckley. I think that his speed difference, athleticism difference, and and again, when I talk about you know these guys and I and I say, oh, they're 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 explosive, they're athletic. I don't want that to sound like I'm discrediting his hard work because I just talked about for him to make 170, that means he's putting in the work. But let's not fucking bullshit and act like like Alex Morano is the better athlete here because he's not. So let's just keep it a hundred. Like we always do. Buckley is the better athlete in this spot. The faster man too. both have suspect chins. Both are dangerous offensively. I'm going with Buckley in this fight. And I, I do think there's a chance someone hits the deck here. Now, next up in the lightweight division, we got drew Dober. He's 26 and 12 taking on Ricky Glenn. Who's 22 and seven and two, two draws. One of those draws being to our main event, uh, red corner fighter, Grant Dawson. And currently they got it. Another one, Drew Dober minus 425. The comeback on Rick Glenn is plus 325. Uh, Man. What's interesting is that Rick Glenn's being disrespected because of his last fight, which he did not look good in his last fight. He got sparked by Christos, but listen, man, Christos is a heavy hitter. Y'all saw him hurt Zell Huber in that first round, and we all know that Christos tends to like be good the first couple of minutes of the first round. He even got on top of Sarukian uh, at one point, man. So I'm not holding that against Ricky Glenn too much. I mean, we're talking about a guy who has what? well over 30 fights and that's his only ko loss so you know to me it's it's not that big of a deal but what i think is a big deal here is that dober's always kind of been you know farther ahead like dober is a guy who's made it to the top 15 was close to to the top you know the top 10 at one point and whereas rick glenn is kind of more, you know, top 100 in the world, right? So it's definitely a step down in competition. But what makes this an interesting fight is that Rick Glenn, being the savvy vet that he is, and he's very long for the weight class. He was a lot longer uh, for the featherweight class, but here at lightweight, you know, he's 34 now. So, you know, making those cuts to 45 weren't going to be, you know, they weren't going to be easy anymore. Not that they were back then, but he had, he had to move up. But he's, he's still the longer guy here at six feet tall, you know. So it's kind of one of those things where what's interesting about Rick is that when you count him out, that's when he has some of his best performances. Like, for example, you know, when he fought uh, Joachim Silva, he was a dog there, starches him in 37 seconds. When he fought Grant Dawson, he was a fucking plus 400 dog, and he almost killed Grant Dawson in round three. So sometimes when you count this guy out, that's when he does his best work. And then against Giagos, he was a favorite there. That's where he dropped the ball. Um, Here against Dober, he's a big underdog. Dober is a guy who I thought his chin was starting to – and I don't want to sound like I'm disrespecting a guy who I I hold in such high regard. How do you not – if you're a UFC fan and you don't love Drew Dober, please don't watch my show because he's one of the most exciting fighters. This is a guy that will give, you know, that blood, sweat, and tears – guts glory everything inside that octagon and fights the way we want to watch people fight a little bit on the shorter side he's five foot eight he's got the same reach as ricky glenn but for that to matter he's gonna have to close distance because of the length of ricky glenn but i think if he does close the distance he's got 
the heavier hands. He's the power. He's the bigger power hitter here. But if he's on the outside, that's where I think Ricky Glenn can kind of you know pot shot a little bit, throw those straights, you know, kind of chop them down with kicks a little bit. But I think that Dober is going to be landing the harder shots here. <clears throat> I'm not, I'm not willing to plant my flag and say he gets a KO because Glenn's only been KO'd one time in like thirty something fights, man. Um, but at the same time, Dober is a guy who shares the record for most knockouts in the lightweight division with Dustin Poirier, right? So Dober is that potent. And, and I think Dober should get back on track here. I think that the odds indicate that. But I don't think Glenn is some bum. Glenn's a, ven, a vet that's been around the block a long time. Go watch what he did at Georgie Karikanian back in the day, man, when he broke his ribs. Like, Rick Glenn has been around the block. I'm glad to see him sticking around on the UFC. Nice guy. Um, but Dober, also a nice guy. None of that matters. Um, I, I just think that Dober's always kind of been, you know, a few steps ahead of Rick Glenn. And for that reason, I'm going to pick him in this fight. Next up in the 205 pound division, we got a matchup between Felipe Lynch. He's 17 and five, taking on Iwan Kutalaba, who's 17-9 and one. Currently, they got it. Iwan Kutalaba is minus 155. The comeback on Luis Felipe Lynch is plus 135. This is a tough one for me to call. It really is. Reason being. So Lynn's on one hand, man, back to training at ATT, back back at American top team. Uh, I mean, anabolic top team, like his physique change since he dropped the 205. And I know he's fought at 205 in the past back in Bellator, but like he looks completely different. Like he's him and his doctor have been harvesting that garden of life, fruits and vegetables. Um, but there's also been chin concerns with Lynn's, you know, soft hitters like Tanner Bozer knocked him the fuck out. A couple dudes in, in Bellator knocked him out. And then with Kutalaba, he's one of these guys. We're going to talk about a, a kid named Alexander Hernandez here in a bit. He's the guy that I like to refer to as a talented flake. He's talented. You can't deny it. And one thing interesting about Kutalaba is, isn't he like still a kid? Like, isn't he, like, only, like, fucking, oh, okay. Well, he's still in his 20s, but I thought he was a little bit younger. He's 29, but, like, man, he's been in the UFC so long, and, like, he's not even 30 yet. And, like, when he's on his game, man, I mean, like, he absolutely smoked Khalil Roundtree. He broke Devin Clark, how you're supposed to break Devin Clark if you're on that level. Like, if you're not on that level, Devin Clark can sneak by some wins. He's stuck around in the UFC. And Ewan just beat the shit out of him for three straight rounds. Um, Tanner Bozer destroyed him right away. But then there's these fights that go past round one, and even some of them in round one where it's like Ewan's chin doesn't look the best. It's not that his gas tank is suspect. It's more that he, he's got that balls-to-the-wall style, and he's a big boy with that balls-to-the-wall style. So as a result, you're going to get tired. You're going to fatigue. That's just how it goes here um so what's tough about this one for me is that yeah i do think it, if it the longer it goes that's where you know philippe lens can you know start to maybe rack up a little volume get a takedown or two and stuff like that but i think there's a chance that kutalaba starches him in the first round as well 
Like my gut is telling me that Kutalaba starches him in the first round. But again, if you think all Lins has to do is just survive round one, that's all that's all you gotta do, Felipe. Then I see why you would take these odds. I mean, and I might even talk myself into taking these odds just based off that merit that anytime this guy's been passed round one, minus the Devin Clark fight, shit's gotten sketchy. But do I, do I really trust Felipe Lins? Because look who he's been in there with at 205. Now, granted, his body, his physique looks completely different. Let's not even, like, let, let's not, uh, let's not beat around the bush. He won that Millie in, uh, in PFL. And it looks like now that he's dropped to 205, he's making good uses of his resources, if you know what I mean. But he's fought super soft competition at 205. Marcin Prachnow, harmless. Ovin St. Pru, love me some o- o- love me some OSP, but y'all know OSP is 40, right? And I'm not exaggerating. OSP is 40. Philippe Lins is getting up there too. Maxime Grishin, I respect his body of work, but Maxime Grishin, also 40 years old, and a very just night and day difference to what Kudalaba brings to the table. Maxine's very lower output. Um, so, I don't know. Kudalaba smashed guys better than this before. So, I get the fade on Kudalaba, especially if it goes past round one. I, I, I'm just not sure if I trust Felipe Lins. So, yeah. Uh, I'm going to go Yuan Kudalaba to get a first-round finish over, over Felipe Lynch. If it goes past round one, then, you know, all bets are off the table. But I think this is the kind of guy that Ewan can have his front-running performance. Just go out there, get him out of there real quick. And then when he fights someone that's a little bit more reliable, then we'll get a good price to to, to fade Kutalaba. Um, Dixon said Linz is in the uptrend, Kutalaba downtrend. It's kind of funny considering Linz is 39 and Kutalaba is 29. <laughs> you know, But, hey, man. I'm not going to tell you how to bet, you know. Got to trust your gut at the end of the day. Next up in the featherweight division, we got a matchup between Bill Algio, who's 17 and 7, taking on Alexander Hernandez, who's 14 and 6. Currently, they got it. Bill Algio minus 145. The comeback on Alexander Hernandez is plus 125. So, I've been very critical of Alexander Hernandez for you know for a long time. I've always said. Anytime a fight goes past round one, win or lose, it always gets sketchy. Um, but he's one of these guys I like to refer to as a talented flake, you know? And guess who has a history of losing to talented flakes? Bill Algio. What happened in that Ricardo Ramos fight? Ricardo Ramos, a talented flake, goes out there and takes down Algio eight times. What happened in that Andre Feely fight? Andre Feely, the definition of a talented flake, uh, like can one day will look amazing. Next day, you know, he's a 50-50 fighter. Wins one, lose one, wins one, lose one, right? And that dude had no problem with, with Bill Algio. And let me say something. I've been hearing multiple people, not just one person. I've been hearing multiple people saying that Bill Algio, oh, this is just like the Billy Q fight. <laughs> and I think that that's such an asinine and categorically false thing to say. Billy Q and Bill Algio fight nothing alike. The only similarities that Billy Q and Bill Algio have is their name is Billy, and they're both black belts in jiu-jitsu. That is literally it. 
let's talk about their sizes. Billy Q, five foot ten, orthodox fighter, kind of a guy that you know, very slow starts, takes an ass whooping up front. But if you start to fade on Billy Q, he just turns up in a way and just overwhelms guys with with his durability and his pace. Algio is different. Algio is like six foot one. He kind of switches stances a lot. He's more of like a taekwondo kicker. He's got his little, you know, his little cute kicks. And and if I have to give them one more similarity, Billy Q and 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 Bill Algio is their durability and their uh, their 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 cardio. So they do have some similarities. Like, and that's where this would come in, where. You know, Algio could take over should Hernandez fade, right? Which Hernandez does fade in a lot of fights. He's a flake. He's a talented flake. Just like Ricardo Ramos and Andre Feely, who both beat Bill Algio, Algio loses to talented flakes. So it's tough because, like, I can. And here's my thing with Hernandez, too. Um, Hernandez losses are in rounds, too. Well, he, he actually lost a. Uh, a decision to Moises, by the way, but anyways, um, my, my thing is that I think that Alex is a lot more physical. It's just like with Alex, it's all mental. Can Alex figure out his mental shit? I felt like that last fight with Jim Miller was a step in the right direction because when I criticized Alex, I've never criticized his striking. I've never criticized his wrestling, his athleticism, his speed, the wins he's gotten. I mean, Calling the Benil fight a fluke, I don't think it's a criticism. I think it's more of a fact if they ever ran it back. But at the same time, you were still good enough to knock out Benil on one night, right? Like, even if that was a fluke, you were still good enough to do that on one night. You know, Bill Algio is never sniffing that guy's jockstrap. You were good enough to beat OAM on one night. Like, the Jim Miller fight, Jim Miller was going after him, and it seemed like Alex Hernandez had better composure in that fight in the bad spots. So is that a step in the right direction that he's fixed up the mental things? Cause like I said, it is a mental thing. Like the whole trying to just fucking run through people in the first round. That's a mental thing. Cause he's a bully. He's got that bully mentality. Uh, Dixon said, if Hernandez never starts there, Darius, would, would we be respecting Alex as much? I mean, if you've heard the show for a long time, you know I've been very critical on Alex. But I want you all to go pull up the Alex versus Benil fight breakdown. I said where I where I very clearly said, do not parlay Benil at these big odds. Go go pull that up. So just know I've been consistent. Um, so so my thing is, people trying to compare him to 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 Billy Q. He fights nothing like Billy Q. <laughs> Not even the same body type. They fucking switch stance. Like uh, Billy Algio switches stances. Billy Q is kind of just a, a flat-footed plotter. Um, Billy Q is more of a comeback kid, whereas Billy Algio, he's got those fucking annoying Taekwondo kicks. Uh, is good on the mat, too. And like I said, if you slow down against either guy, they'll put it on you, right? My question is, does Bill Algio push the pace necessary to get Alex to that? supremely fatigued state that a guy like billy q got him in because i don't think bill algio pushes that big of a pace and the stuff that he throws isn't that hard um it's just kind of like cute and awkward and he's long and lanky and, and and you know if he takes your back and this and that 
So, and then here's the other thing. Hernandez is dropping down to 45 again. First time it did not go his way. Granted, you know, he's not a guy that has zero biz in the weight class. Like Nate Maness has zero biz at 25. Like Hernandez, I could see him making 45 fine. It's just, are you going to be more acclimated to the cut this time? Are you going to actually, you know, look, look like you were supposed to look the first time? Are, are you going to look good this time extended throughout the fight? Not just in round one. So I have a lot of questions because, look, you guys know that I've been listening to the show. I'll be the first one that that will run to the window to fade Alex Hernandez and and to talk about him and his pocket thesaurus and how he's using all these big words. And But at the same time, sometimes guys mature. Sometimes guys finally, they go through their growing pains. You know, when you starch Benil on like a week notice, you know, you probably thought he was fucking God's gift to fighting and he had to get humbled a bunch of times. He's still a young kid. This is a winnable fight, man. It's just... Are you going to drop the ball like you have so many fucking times? Because I felt like the Miller fight was a big step in the right direction. Yeah, I know Miller's 40 years old. I know Miller's on his way out, but Miller still goes for it. Miller still finishes, guys. Miller had him in some bad spots, and Hernandez fought through them. So maybe that's what he needed mentally to get him to that next level. If he has another mental lapse, Bill Algio is going to whoop his ass, but... If Alex can keep it together, I think he's the better fighter here. I really do. I think he's the better athlete. I think he's faster. I think he's more explosive. And, and guys, like longtime listeners of the show, y'all know for me to say these things, like you know that, like, you know what place I'm coming from. Like, I'm just keeping it 100, man, because I'll be the first to shit on Alex Hernandez. Um, But I felt like I saw a big step in the right direction last time. And people need to stop comparing Algio to Billy Q. They find nothing alike. So it could go either way. It's just like, it's just tough to predict. Is Alex going to have that great round one and then just fall off a cliff? Or is Alex going to, you know, take the positives of that Jim Miller fight, use it here going forward and build off that and, and finally, you know, get a nice little win streak together. So yeah, it, it, it's a tough one because um, you just don't know what, what to expect with one of these talented flakes. Like I was talking about Ricardo Ramos, Andre Feely. One day they, they look, you know, remember what, how Andre Feely looked against, uh, against Daniel Pineda. And then you remember how he looks against Joe Anderson Brito, Ricardo Ramos. You know how he looks when he's landing those spinning back elbow knockouts. And then you saw he look, how he looked against Jordan. So with these talented flakes, like Alex Hernandez, Ramos, Feely, you just never know what to expect. That's why it's tough. But I think on his best day, he can beat Bill Algio. So hopefully it's his best day. I'll pick him to win this fight because I'm not sure. I'm really not. Now, next up in the strawweight division, we got a matchup between Karolina Kovacevic. She's 15-7, and seven, taking on Diana Belbica, who's also 15-7. and seven. Currently, they got it, Karolina Kovacevic. Minus 165, the comeback on Diana Belbita is plus 145. This is a really good fight. Um, I feel like a lot of newer fans don't really understand what Karolina Kovacevich was when she first came to the UFC because I heard people trying to discredit her. Like, if you're discrediting her, you're either a noob or you have no idea what you're talking about because I was around. I cashed a plus 215 ticket on Karolina Kovacevic to beat Rose Nama Yunus. Okay? At UFC 201 in Atlanta. I know how good she can be on her best day. 
I know how bad she can be on her worst day. And the issue is that although she's, although she's, you know, gained a lot of confidence back with these, with these three big wins that she's had, you know, like she went from like a five fight skid to now all of a sudden, like, Hey, you're back. You're on a three fight win streak. You got a new contract. Like you moved to ATT. You love to see it. Right. But let's not act like this is still the same Carolina that beat Rose Nama Yunus back when I better than, um, because, you know, she's having 50, 50 fights with Silvana Gomez, Juarez and, you know, and stuff like that. And, and, and it still wasn't that long ago when she got finished by Jessica Panay in round one. Like, Xiaonan, I can understand. Grasso, I can understand. But, you know, Panay, I, I cannot understand. Having a 50-50 fight with Silvana Gomez-Juarez, look, no big deal. But, like, I mean, Diana Belbita is probably on that same level, right? Like, wouldn't you say Diana Belbita is probably on that Silvana Gomez-Juarez level, you know? So here's my thing with Diana. Diana is one of these fighters where I really like her output a lot and she goes for it on the feet. But my issue with Belbita is that sometimes I don't like her attitude. Like she'll be like, she'll, she'll make the comments about how, Oh, they only want to hug me. They only want to take me down, stand up and fight. And it's like, bitch, this is MMA. <laughs> you know, like, like don't don't fucking cry when you sign up for an mma fight and people know people identify your weakness on the mat and they go out there and, and try to uh exploit it um gomez juarez is a harder hitter than belbita but belbita has more output than gomez juarez belbita's put up some really good numbers output wise like her last fight 106 significant strikes her fight two fights prior, 117 against Molly McCann, 98. So I know she's been beating soft competition and, and stuff like that, um, but she's got good output it, should this fight stay standing. But what I like about Carolina, um, not every fight, but you know that fight against Gomez Juarez landed two takedowns in that fight. Big step in the right direction. Uh, was able to sub Felice Herrig. And then the last fight against Vanessa, she landed 139 significant strikes, which gives me hope here against Deanna because the big talking point for Deanna was her output. Well, guess what? Carolina just put up the kind of numbers we like her very last fight. Now, granted, against someone who's got nowhere near the striking technique of Deanna, but she still put up those numbers no less. And her confidence has to be sky high now. It's just, it's still not the same Carolina. Like, this is fun, dude. If this was the Carolina that came to the USC beating Rose and Marcos and all these fighters and doing her thing, and you gave me minus 160 on her, <laughs> it would be max bet season. But, you know, she's lost five of her last eight, and granted, she's back on a win streak. She's feeling she's feeling herself again. I do think Carolina's on a different level than Belbita, but these things don't get better. These things get worse. And at, at some point you lose to fighters that you would have once beat. So I don't know, man, it, it, it's tough to me. So I'm gonna go Carolina Kovacavich because I think historically she's always been the better fighter, but would it surprise me if Deanna rises to the occasion here, you know, with the youth, with the output, with the right game plan, you know, she's got momentum on her side. 
She's been through the ups and downs. She's catching Carolina at a good time. So would it surprise me? No, Carolina's 37 now, you know? So it would not surprise me. But until I see Deanna beat someone on this caliber, I'm probably not going to pick it. But then again, I say that, and it's like all like all our favorite prospects, all our favorite contenders were once prospects, and they had to take that step up in competition. They had never fought anyone like that before until they fought someone like that before. So is this finally going to be her coming out party? Possibly. But I'm not sure. I'm leaning with Karolina Kovacavich here. I think that she's always been the better fighter. It's just I do like the output from Belbita, but we'll go Karolina. Now, next up in the Bantamweight division, there's another one where it's like, I have no fucking idea. We got Johnny Munoz. He's 12-3 and three, taking on the Mongolian murder, Aurichi Lang who's 24 and 11. I just like calling him Iori. Currently, they got it. Johnny Munoz, minus 110. Iori, minus 110. So, you know, <laughs> this is funny because it's like people are just saying, well, all Johnny Munoz has to do is just go out there and take this guy down. That's simple, right? I mean, Jay Perrin took him down. So if Jay Perrin took him down, you could take him down too, right? Um, but the thing about Munoz is Johnny Munoz does not like to get hit. So my boy and, uh, Iori is a heavy hitter, man. Like Iori is a very, very heavy hitter. He can stop guys in their tracks. And if he can crack Johnny Munoz a couple times, that's when Johnny Munoz starts pulling guard and, you know, my issue with Munoz is I don't think he's the most athletic. I think his striking offense and defense is extremely suspect, but he's got good jujitsu. Um, and when I say good jujitsu, I mean when he gets in the dominant position. Let's, let's not fucking sit here and act like this is some Charles Oliveira or this is, you know, Davi Hamosh or something like that because it's not. But uh, how about how about we word it like this? Jiu-jitsu is the strongest part of his game, right? How many of these power shots can Iori get off on Johnny, you know, to make Johnny just kind of more hesitant, to make him kind of pull guard, to make him feel like, man, like I kind of just don't want to be here anymore, whereas Iori is willing to go to the death, legit. And even when you kill him, he still wants to fight, like in his last fight, right? it's tough and then but then iori will drop rounds to guys like jay perrin which is like you know you know <laughs> the best of looks right <sighs> it's tough man literally everybody is on johnny munoz and, and i get it if you got it at plus 125 right and i and i see these guys today the the lines are like dead pick a minus 110 and i see you guys today posting plus 125 odds on uh johnny munoz like tipping that to their to their their audience or whatever like bro you never see me do some shit like that <laughs> like <laughs> it's crazy to me but um i'm gonna lean with iori here man i think he's the heavier hitter i think he's the meaner guy it's just we understand if johnny munoz takes his back if johnny munoz gets on top of him for extended periods of time that obviously johnny can win with that path but um i just like I like that that dog, that grit. I like the fact that Iori, like, he makes people think twice, like, when, when he cracks them, man. And 
I think Johnny is not the toughest. So, Sean K said, to be fair, I already fought Perrin and Yuta. Dude, I don't give a fuck if he fought him in Russia, in Malaysia, in Atlanta. He lost a round to Jay Perrin, period, point blank. I don't give a fuck if he fights him in my backyard. <laughs> you know? But uh, that being said, I'm still going to go Iori to win this fight. Now, next up in the strawweight division, we got a matchup. We got the return of Kanako Murata. She's 12 and 2, taking out Vanessa Demopoulos, who's 9 and 5. And currently, they got it. Kanaka Murata, minus 360. The comeback on Vanessa is plus 295. Um, this is an interesting one because it's like my thing with Vanessa, right? What's up, my boy? My thing with Vanessa is that Technically speaking, as far as the striking is concerned, it's not the prettiest. But what she will do, I, we know about the arm bars off her back. You guys already know about that. What's, I mean, what, what you pulling me for? This guy, this guy Leo is trying to put on a show now. Hey, hey, I'm almost done. After that, I promise you I'll take you out. I'll feed you the whole nine. Even though I literally did that right before we came on air, bro. This guy, he's like clawing at my shoes, like, like telling me to get off. All right, go mess with your brother, Oscar. Um, so we already understand Vanessa Demopoulos, very good arm bars off her back. And on the feet, it doesn't look the prettiest, but what I've always respected about uh, Vanessa Demopoulos is she goes for it. Like, like she, she, she'll use max effort. She'll try her hardest. So I'll always respect that quality in her. And she seems like a nice person good energy so i like her but the thing with Murata is it's a lot more meat and potatoes she's super short super stocky like when i say short i mean five foot one 62 inch reach she's tiny but she, she she's fucking cocked and she's one of these fighters that she gets on top of you and that could be the whole round like she took that random marcos four times and she got close to 10 minutes of control so she controlled her for almost 10 of the 15 minutes of that fight. And that's what I'm worried about here because it's like if she gets on top of Vanessa, I think there's a good chance that she can neutralize her. But what makes it interesting is that that's what gives Vanessa her opportunities for those armbar attempts. So that's why I'm excited to watch the fight. Uh, and then my question is, should Murata really be minus 360 here? I'm not saying she shouldn't. I'm just asking, should she? Like, I'm not sure. Um, that's what remains to be seen. Um, so yeah, I'll go with Murata by decision, but I don't know. <laughs> I mean, is it going to surprise you if, if Demopolis arm bars are no, is it going to surprise you if Demopolis wins a controversial split? No. So I'm not, I'm not as confident as others on Murata. Um, but I, I'll still pick her to win. Cause I think she's got that neutralizing style that can give Vanessa problems, but man, Vanessa will go with it. Go for it. Um, um, yeah, D uh, Dixon said, Dan, please tell me you saw Emily Ducote put Murata in multiple arm bars. I did. And not only that, uh, Virna Janjidova last fight was fucking up uh, Murata. So 
yeah, I'm not writing off that possibility, man. Like, and this is a dogger pass situation at these odds. So, like, if y'all think that Vanessa is gonna, um, Ghost Gardner said Vanessa's like Grant Dawson with better jits. That was a good, that was a good one. <laughs> Grant Dawson's more of a back taker. Vanessa's more of an arm bar from guard. But either way, is the arm bar from guard gonna happen here? Or is it gonna be kind of just like a, more work rate split decision. Those are the two paths I see for Vanessa, whereas Murata, I kind of see her just kind of neutralizing her a bit. Um, I'll go Murata, but I mean, I, I, I ain't fucking parlaying that. I ain't playing that. Hell no. Um, all right. This one I'm excited about. Next up in the flyweight division, hey, y'all do me a, a favor. Sean K said, Dan, who's the better striker here, Murata or Demopolis? Well, Murata, doesn't she like barely throw strikes at all? Like, yeah, I mean, she hasn't even landed 30 strikes in any of her UFC fights, so she barely throws strikes. So, like, Vanessa, technically speaking, it doesn't look the prettiest, but, like, Vanessa will actually, like, try. That's what I've been trying to say this whole time. Like, Vanessa will give effort. So that's that. That's what makes it complicated, right, if you're interested in this fight, which I, I'm not, but I'm just saying if I were, those were the arguments I'd be making for the dog. But back to this. Next up in the flyweight division, we got a matchup between Nate Maness. He's 14 and 3, taking on Mateus Mendonce, who's 10 and 1. Currently, they got it. Mateus Mendonce minus 240. The comeback on Nate Maness is plus 220. So I hear a lot of people saying Nate Maness is being disrespected in this spot. And oh, you only fought Tagir and uh Umar. So it's like, bro, what the fuck do Tagir and Umar? have to do with anything here like great he fought Tagir and umar and and mateus fought a bash rap brother okay yeah they've both fought some pretty tough dudes like great how do they match up here that's all i give a fuck about i don't get like he lost to a russian therefore like <laughs> this is people's logic well he lost to a russian so now i'm gonna bet him against a non-russian like that that's your logic like i mean to me it's like firstly Nate Manis has zero business at 125 pounds. Zero. Can he make the weight? Sure. Sure, he can make the weight. But can he perform on fight night at the best of his abilities after a weight cut like that? I don't think so. And this is something I've been talking about with Cody Dern a lot, actually. And not just when it comes to Nate Maness. Um, Me and Cody were talking about this, how, you know, when Cody goes down to ATT in Florida, right? And he spars with some of these guys. Like, for example, there was this guy who fought on the first week of Contender Series. Brazilian guy. Fucking cocked. We're wondering, how the hell does this guy make 125, right? And he lost to, like, a, a Peruvian guy. Was it Borjas or the other Peruvian guy? But either way, I'm talking about that Jack Brazilian first week of Contender Series this year that lost to the Peruvian, right? And I was talking to Cody Durden on the phone about it. Um, because this is something that that he sees that he that he sees a lot right where like in the gym these guys will be like 150 pounds 160 pounds 145 pounds right and they'll be performing fucking amazing they'll be they'll be running through real ufc guys but when you have to make that cut to 125 pounds you don't perform like the same guy the next day even Aljamain sterling credit to him to stay at 135 pounds as much as he as long as he did and to fucking win all those title fights when he was like 
badly fading in the late rounds. Like, hey, respect Aljo. Um, but like when you're doing great in the gym at 150 pounds, but then you gotta cut to 125 and then rehydrate the next day, you're probably what 135, 140. It's just not the same. Those weight cuts take so much out of you. And yeah, I get it. Mendonce has never fought at 25s before. Mendonce might miss weight here, but so what? Mendonce is a flyweight. Mendonce is five foot five. Mendonce is a guy that this is his proper weight class. Whereas I can see, um, I can see Maness fighting at 145, and, and all these people talking about, well, this isn't Umar or Tagir anymore. Like. What you, what, you have to be as good as Umar or Tagir to beat this guy? The fuck are you talking about? Taylor Lapolis sidekicked this guy in the gut. Like, even some of the fights this guy's winning, like the Johnny Munoz fight, like the Tony Gravely fight, these guys are all, like, having big moments of success against uh, against Nate Maness. So to be like, oh, well, it's not Umar or Tagir anymore. Now he's automatically going to win. That's the dumbest shit I've ever fucking heard in my life. That is so, like, what, like, what does Tagir and Umar have to do with this fight? nothing literally nothing so so stop that please what matters here is how these two match up and it being at 25 i think one guy actually belongs in this weight class i think the other guy has zero biz here i think that nate maness is going to gas faster i think he's more prone to getting hurt uh he got subbed very quick his last fight um but the thing about maness historically speaking like he is a tough, durable guy that'll still be there and can get opportunistic moments in fights, but can he do that at 125? Whereas this kid, Mendonce, fights out of shoot to box, uh, aggressive, goes for it, very dangerous, um, is actually in the right weight class for finally, you know, finally dropped to 25. Hopefully, he got with the people at the PI, if not with his doctors at shoot to box. Hopefully, they got him right. And I mean, I think this kid's a legit prospect, man. Like, to make your UFC debut against a Basharat brother, you know how big of a fucking deal that is? Like, you know, do you guys understand how good the Basharat brothers are? And while Mendon's clearly lost that fight, like, he didn't take as big of an ass whooping as some of these other guys have. And that's the only, that's the kind of fight that, like, when you've been running through everybody on your regional scene and then you go three hard with a Basharat brother, like, and now you're coming back, like, what, half a year later? Like, dude, and he's just a kid. These are the spots where you're going to be seeing these big improvements. And the thing that sucks is the price. Fuck, minus 240. It's like, can can we, can we you give me, like, minus 185? Can you give me minus 175? Will I compromise at minus 200? I'm not compromising at minus 260, minus 240. I, I think that's probably about accurate, but... Give me minus 200. Give me minus 185. Give me minus 175. And uh, I mean, I'm, I think Mendonce, like, he kind of reminds me of like, guys, just be, just relax when I make this comparison. Remember when Davis and Figueredo first came into the UFC? He was a little bit raw, he was a little bit green, but you saw that killer. You saw that difference in explosiveness. You saw that difference in power. You saw that potential. Most importantly, I see a lot of potential in Mateos Mendonce. Now it's up to him to go out here and perform. One thing I can tell you about Maness, the weight cut might be better this time, 
but this is not the right weight class, man. You are not a 125er. You can make 125, so you can just shut down my argument by saying, hey, I made 25, therefore I'm a 25er. And also, all y'all calling them weight bullies, you're fucking wrong. If you can make the weight, you're not a weight bully. That's always been my take on the subject. But that being said, I think the weight cut's going to take way too much out of him um, and his already skinny frame. I think the body shots are going to be big. I think the spin kicks are going to be there. Um, don't be surprised if some takedowns are there. Y'all know Nate Manis can't stuff a takedown. So, yeah, I think Mateus Mendonca is going to make a statement here and show that he is an emerging prospect in the flyweight division. Just give me a fucking better price. <laughs> That's all I ask. You know, is, is that so much to ask for a better price? Last but not least, in the flyweight division, we got Montana De La Rosa. She's 12 and 8, taking on JJ Aldrich, who's 12 and 6. Currently, they got it. Montana De La Rosa minus 135. The comeback on JJ Aldrich is plus 115. So another spot where, you know, De La Rosa was like plus 170, and then she was plus 150, and then she was plus 130, then she's plus 115, and now it's gone all the way to now she's minus 135, right? She's minus 135 now, and then today I see people posting like plus 125 <laughs> tickets on Montana De La Rosa. Like you're tipping this to your audience, like telling them like, hey, like we're going to go get it. Like I get it if like you're just saying like, hey, this is what I got, like whatever. But like when you're like, trying to like you know build your following and saying like hey we're we're gonna do this together like it's a team effort like we're all gonna get rich together and you're posting lines that haven't been available for weeks like you know what would happen if i did some shit like that people would fucking show up at my door if i did some shit like that so yeah if you actually legitimately got in on the montana de la rosa plus money you did your job but that line's gone it's minus 135 now okay like <laughs> That, vo that value is gone. Now the value is on J.J. Aldrich. I mean, the way they match up is J.J. Aldrich kind of has um, – she's got – she likes to kind of play it safe. She likes to keep it pretty. Um, you know, she likes to, you know, she likes to circle a lot on the outside. She's got an interesting pairing style, punches straight down the pipe. Her, her grappling has gotten better over the years. She's a little bit she's, – she's more well-rounded than she used to be, but I do think she can be bullied in fights. And then with Montana, she's never been the most athletic, but 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 she goes for it, and she's fought some really tough-level competition, like Myra Bueno Silva, amongst others, uh, Tatiana Suarez, right? Um, and Montana is really good when she takes the back. Um, her hands have gotten better over the years. I mean, they're still not where I want them to be, but they've gotten better over the years. And I just see this being a split – what are, you, what are you barking at me for, Leo? Does that does this mean JJ Aldrich is live? Because I thought Montana was live back when she was the dog. But bottom line, I see this being, uh, you know, wherever the dog money is, that's where you should go. But I my pure pick is Montana De La Rosa. So shout out to all y'all that actually got in on the dog odds on Montana De La Rosa. You made the right play. You can even go bet JJ now at plus 115 and guarantee yourself a profit. I don't, I don't see what the issue is with, with guaranteeing yourself a profit. Um, and let's just be very clear about one thing. Uh, Montana did not win that uh, Myra Bueno Silva fight. Hey, credit to you for making it to a draw, but look me in the eye with a straight face. <laughs> Myra Shitara Bueno Silva clearly won that fight. But still, Montana had some moments in that fight against a legit, you know, someone that's going to probably fight for a title soon. So I respect it. I think Montana's the tougher, the tougher fighter here. JJ might be the cleaner fighter here. I lean Montana, but I think it's about where the dog money's at. So 
made the best woman win. I'll, I'll, I'll pick Montana. All right. So I'm down to answer any fan questions. I'll talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. Then I'm down to answer any fan questions. Y'all leave them down here for me below. Um, but first I'm going to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. And Leo, what, what, what are you, what are you barking at me for, bro? I, come on, man. What, 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 what is it, man? I took you out. I fed you like, come on, my guy. You know, I fucking love my dog. Uh, so the fight to watch for UFC v Vegas 80. I mean, there's a lot of fights to watch, but I think one that I'm really looking forward to is, I mean, that co-main event between Pfeiffer and Razak Al-Hassan. I mean, I, actually, let, let's go with the feature bout between Buckley and Murano. Murano's a guy who seems like he's finally, like, really putting it together. He's on a bit of a run here. And... Buckley is trying to make a name for himself at this new weight class. So hold on one second, y'all. So Buckley's trying to make a name for himself at this new weight class. And uh, Murano is always a tough vet, always a tough out. And one thing I know is that these two are going to fucking go after it. So for that reason, Buckley versus Murano is my fight to watch. My fighter to watch is Mateus Mendonce, man. I think that this guy is has the potential to be a legit prospect one day. Um, and he's got an opponent that has zero business in this weight class. So I don't want you to just squeak by one. I want you to go out there, build off the momentum of <laughs> going three hard rounds with a bash rat and come out here and, and let's starch this guy that has no business in your weight class and show that you're a legit prospect. So for that reason, Mateus Mendonce is my fighter to watch. All right. My dog is fucking going crazy, which is, which is insane. I've fucking walked him a million times, fed him. I don't know what the hell he wants, but um, he's, a, he's just a baby though. He's only two years old, but all right, I'm going to answer a couple things and then I'm going to get out of here. So Dixon said, Dan, please do shows on Tuesdays instead of Wednesdays. I like to be here live with you guys. Usually I can't on Wednesday because I'm working. Well, Dixon, I do appreciate the fact that you like to be here live with us, but you can always go back and watch the replay. It's not going to take anything away from you, but at the same time, I'll take into consideration that, you know, if the fans want the, the show to be on Tuesday, we'll see. It's all about scheduling, but, you know, since we had a week off last week, I wanted to um, just get this one out early, and then tomorrow I'm actually going to the Braves, like, uh, practice uh their their practice for the playoffs so i'm excited about that so yeah that's why i went early this week my boy ben says smash the like button i appreciate that ben 420 in the house man freaking tastic um ghost gardener you know we got your back bro eq anabolic top team you know what i'm saying how many shows are gonna rip off that line um chronic combat run up the likes i appreciate that 420 says dan is the scholar of mma terminology the words everyone speaks originate on half the battle thank you for giving me the credit i deserve for real um all right let's see shady said everyone and their mother is on dawson parlay and sub kind of shady huh um Dixon said, Dan, when they're going to announce Ronald Acuna Jr. as the NL MVP, I tell you on that a while ago with a boost waiting for it to cash. Well, you know, I'm wearing my Ronald Acuna shirt right now, so it's only a matter of time, my boy. Um, Hammer Betts agrees with me that Razak, you know, got the short end of the stick against Buckley. I also thought Razak won that fight. 
Call Me Whatever says Buckley will spark Murano. Um, let's see what else y'all got for me. Kubide Junam. Hey, listen, man. If y'all don't know about Persian food, y'all better know because it's the best. Try out the chicken bar with the Shirazi salad. Get that cash bat in June as the appetizer. Maybe some hummus. Um, shish kebabs are always on point, but my favorite is the chicken bar. Remember that. Um, Thomas says he predicts the Manus fight is going to be a catchweight. You heard it here first. Maybe. I'm I'm not switching my pick. Um, Dixon said when when Ronald wins... Ronald Acuna wins the NL MVP. I got a fat ticket on him after you tweeted it to Clint with a boots I got at plus 115. When I last checked, it was minus 700. Thank you, Dan. Hey, man. You know, you know, we're always uh, supporting our own here. You know what I'm saying? So much love. Um, all right. I think, sorry, sometimes I don't see all the all the questions and comments on here. So I apologize if I skipped any of your questions. I'll give you all one last chance for a last call if I missed what you asked me because, like, there's so many, like, comments here and, yeah, all that stuff. But, uh, man, um, I'm very grateful for you guys being here with me, for me, throughout the years, whether it's, um, you know, from day one, whether it's somewhere along the way or whether it's new. Uh you know, much love, much love. Thank you, guys. Thomas Kane said Acuna ain't no Dale Murphy. Uh, yeah, I mean, one guy fights in, in the 2023 version of MLB and is getting 40, 70 records. You know what I'm saying? I would never disrespect ATL legend Dale Murphy, but, you know, it's just, it's like saying that, I don't know, a UFC champion in 20, 2023 is not the same as a dominant champion from fucking the early 2000s, whatever. Sports evolve. Mr. Always Profit said, thoughts on Cody Durden's matchup versus Tagir Lombekov? Um, I, mean, I think it's a great matchup. I think that Tagir is going to go for it. I think Tagir's a dog, but guess who also is going to go for it? And guess who is also a dog? Um, Cody Durden. I mean, it's the same thing you got to worry about with any Cody Durden fight. Cody Durden goes balls to the wall, and as a result, um, you're going to leave openings. And that's, I mean, he knows it. I know it. Everybody knows it. So, you know, you got to look out for those long man chokes that the gear has. And, you know, there's certain things that we saw on tape that I think will be exploited, especially in the striking realm of things. And uh, I expect it to be a very hard fought competitive three round fight. And I expect Cody to be a sizable underdog. And I think he'll get disrespected and I think he'll come out on top again. Um, Ghost Gardner says, great show this week. He says, Cody Dern has gotten so much better on the feet the last three years. He's always been good at striking. I think it's just he's getting more comfortable inside the octagon now, you know? Um, when you make your debut on a week notice up a weight class against Chris Gutierrez, and it, that's how it starts, you know? Um, and you make it to a draw, and now he's got five wins under his belt in the UFC. Um, you know, even Coach Safe Sayud from Fortis MMA, when when – Cody went to go train there for a couple of weeks. Um, 
Safe Sayud was like, Durden, why don't you let your hands go? Your hands are better than your grappling. And now you guys have been seeing that, you know, the guy, the guy can strike too. So, you know, I'm very, very excited. And yeah, you're so right. Confidence is a thing. It's like, it's like we talk about all those debut stunts, right? Like Zell Huber, Tyler Santos, et cetera. And um, once they start to feel like the octagon is their home, like this is where they truly belong. That's when you start to see their best performances. So that's why, you know, it'd be nice to see like someone like Alex Hernandez or like Iwan Kutalaba who like are still like young, who've paid their dues for so long, we've been through the ups and downs. Can they one day feel like this is their home or are certain things always going to remain the same, right? Like those are the big questions with guys like that. Um, Moyes brought up a good point here somewhere. I just can't find it. He said, oh, yeah, speaking about, like, the weight-cutting thing. And, yeah, Aljamain looked bigger than Grundy last week. Exactly. Like, these guys are killing themselves to, to make these lower weight classes, and they don't perform as well as a result, you know, and, that, and, that, and that's just how it goes. So, guys, thank you again so, so much for joining me on the special edition of Half the Battle. Please smash the like button, hit the subscribe button. If you're not already subscribed, leave me a comment when this is over. If you feel so inclined, please share. Um, I truly appreciate it. Always down to interact with anyone that has my back. I don't always see my notifications on Twitter, but my DMs are open. So y'all can DM, DM me anytime. And uh, it's all love, all love. So thank you guys again. Uh, this show is dedicated to the memory of Amber Lowry. Rest in peace. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.